So many things have ruined my childhood So I go online to bitch and cry It feels like all of Hollywood is up against me They even made Optimus Fly New versions of what I grew up with Are being remade, rebooted and retried My adolescence is under attack now I think that a part of me has died Aliens, uh -huh, uh -huh. Predators, uh -huh, uh -huh. Marvel, uh -huh, uh -huh. DC, uh -huh, uh -huh. maybe it doesn't all quite stay. Okay, well, except maybe for that Jar Jar Binks. Could it be I've misunderstood? This podcast ruined my childhood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Podcast Ruined My Childhood. I'm Phil Durasmo, and with me is Eric Walensky. Hey, Phil. Come with me if you want to podcast. Yes, everybody. That's right, we're looking back at the original Terminator trilogy. Now, Terminator was a movie that just hit the scene and everybody fell in love with this James Cameron sci-fi uh, adventure. I don't know about you, Eric, but the first Terminator movie scared me and excited me at the same time. Yep, that was, uh, that was my memory of the movie. <laughs> just scared and excited. Yep. I, well, I didn't see it on the big screen, um, but uh, it was all over HBO back then, and mm -hmm. uh, I must have saw it like three, four times on HBO, and um, I don't know if I snuck into the living room and, and put it on, or, <laughs> or if I, I do have a, a kind of have a memory of watching it with my dad, um, mm -hmm. because it's it's really not terribly gory or or over the top in profanity or anything like that. But it's definitely a very intense movie for a kid. And, uh, but I remember thinking like, wow, this is, this is scary. And like you said, scary and exciting. Mm -hmm. And I remember staying at my, my grandma's house back then. This would have been, yeah, like 80, 85, 86. And there's a train that ran near her house. Well, one night that train noise, the the train horn got into my dreams, and a Terminator was chasing me in the dream. And every time the horn sounded, that meant the Terminator was closer, because obviously Doppler effect, the train was getting closer to my grandma's house, and so mm -hmm. the horn sound got louder and louder and louder. And in the dream, that was the Terminator announcing its presence. I still remember that dream to this day, and wow. it, it was scary as heck, because every time that train would go, Rrr, I was like, oh, it's, it's right there, I can hear it. <laughs> now, I have to ask, was it Arnold Terminator, or was it the T-800 metal body? Um, it was it was the metal body, mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. that, was, that was the terrifying part. Right, right, it sure was, it sure was. Even to this day, there's something about the red eyes and the exoskeleton that just is, mm -hmm. is creepy. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. Yeah. So several years later, how many would that have been? Seven years later, we got Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Mm-hmm. And I will be 100% honest with you. I think I saw Terminator 2 before I saw the Terminator. Mm. And I was 10 when Terminator 2 Judgment Day came out. I, I don't think I saw it in the theater. I'm pretty sure I saw it at a friend's house um, when I was probably 11 or 12, so the next year or two later. But I am pretty positive I saw Terminator 2 before seeing Terminator 1. And I, I can tell you that Terminator 2, in my mind, is a superior movie. And I think uh, I think that's not. I don't think I'm speaking out of school in saying that <laughs> I like it better than the first. I think there's a contingent of people out there who feel the same way. Um, but well, I yeah. I think that's because the original Terminator, being a 1984 release, probably filmed in '83, feels more like a '70s style movie than it does an '80s style movie. That's that's the vibe I get from it when I watch it. Like there's a lot of quick cuts. Um, the scenes are kind of it's it's a pretty dark film for the most part. Like like literally lighting wise, um, right? And it uh, it it just feels old when I watch it. It feels mm-hmm. dated. Now I would it, still say it really that does. It, You're right. I would say that it holds up as a film, as a story and everything, but it, it just has a total, total seventies feel to me that, that horror, that music that plays when the Terminator's chasing just to me, just sounds like some guy in 1975 came up with that and gave it to James Cameron. And he'd just been kicking that noise around in his head. And he's like, man, you know, it sounds like a Terminator chase. Doesn't it? Doesn't that, doesn't that music sound like a robot chasing you? Like, I guess it was down to that music or a train horn um, right. for the Terminator right. chase music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and unfortunately they went with that music instead of the train horn, but I guess you were <laughs> able to fill in the gap. So that's, that's good that you were able to do that. I did. I watched um, a director's cut one night. <laughs> <laughs> It you put in your own horn in the background. I did. You just, I did. You you had an old like you know nineteen eighty nine Casio keyboard that had like seven different tones on it when you pushed the the keys, and one of them was train horn. And mm-hmm. You just sat there and went. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but T two. So what are your memories of that? Were you able to see that in the theater because you are five years older, and so you would have been uh, sixteen. You know 15 what? I, when that came out, I could have seen it but i didn't i the the t2 craze just kind of came and went with me it 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 passed right over i remember a lot of my friends being excited about it but i i don't know what i was really into pop culture wise back then um yeah i would have been a freshman going into a sophomore year and i don't I don't know where I, I, I was really at because mm-hmm. somehow T2 just escaped me. And until we got ready to do this podcast, I had never seen the entire movie start to finish in one sitting. Wow. I'd only Which version ever... did you watch? Well, that's a great question, Phil. <laughs> I watched the theatrical release and then I skim watched the 
director's cut watching the scenes that I did not see, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, that were in the theatrical. And my gosh, I'm glad that the theatrical release was what it was, because I don't know if a two hour and 33 minute version <laughs> was really necessary. Um, those scenes were kind of interesting, but I think you would have had to have cut something else out of the film to put those scenes in. And I think they made a good choice to go with the way they did. Yeah, I agree. I enjoy watching the director's cut of T2, but if you want a quick to the point, good story, you just watch the regular theatrical cut. It's well, it's what I generally part, go back to. Yeah, I don't think you need the Kyle Reese dream sequence. Mm-hmm. Um that that was just to reiterate the the mantra that he wanted her to memorize, which I didn't think that was necessary. I think uh they did a good enough job bringing that up without it. Yeah. Um, you got a little more Miles Dyson um, backstory. I didn't think that was necessary. Although his daughter doesn't make it to the theatrical release. Oh, right. Right. RIP Miles daughter. <laughs> <laughs> and then taking the, the chip out of the head. Um, That's the one scene that I wish was in there. I don't know if that is to reinforce the the whole mythos of the chip and give mm-hmm. the chip more backstory. Um, I didn't. I didn't think I needed that. Yeah, I, I think that that's exactly what it is, and I I like that. Well, see, because it's it's funny um, if if you think uh, if you think sequel. Mm-hmm. And if you think to Randy from Scream yeah. and all his rules, you mm-hmm. know, um, you're actually, I think, T2, more than anything, is actually grabbing uh, from Scream 3's trilogy rules already, which is you learn something about a character that you never knew before. And we learn all about this chip and how the chip it's a learning computer and it's this and it's that and it's all this extra scientific stuff to now give arnold basically a reason for having more more purpose more range than his predecessor from the first film which was largely mute and uh and just an absolute machine with one purpose well now terminators apparently are designed to learn so they can better integrate themselves to get closer to targets, I would guess. Right. Yep, exactly. So so that's something we didn't know. Yeah. There's also an ultimate cut out there, which has a couple more scenes in it. Really? And yeah. And it's sometimes it gets confused with special edition director's cut versus ultimate cut versus theatrical. Um, I don't remember which which is which in this instance, but I do know that if I just want to watch T2, I throw in the theatrical cut because yeah, the other pieces that are added in both of the two editions are, um, are okay and good. They're just like we've said, they're not needed. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things I think was in the ultimate cut is a, a final scene where they have Linda Hamilton and really bad old age makeup. Yes. I don't think that's in the director's cut. No, and I'd heard all about that scene, and I'd read all about it, and I thought it was in the director's cut, and I was surprised when I did my little skim watch to the end, and I'm like, I thought there was 
all this talk about Linda Hamilton and oh, that's why it's not there. Yeah, it's the ultimate cut. <laughs> and mm. it's just really bad old age makeup of her sitting on a park bench and John is pushing a kid on the swing. Uh, he John's like in his 30s, so it's a different John, you know. Um, right. And she's doing bad voiceover, basically showing that it, Judgment Day didn't happen. Um, and it's it's fine, but the bad makeup is mm-hmm. it really takes you out of it. It's just I, I like I like the theatrical cut. I like the version that we got. And usually I'm a fan of director's cuts. Usually I'm a fan of uh, getting more to add layers to the story. And in this instance, yeah, I, I'm fine with the theatrical. It's a great movie, and it's a great movie for a reason. There's not a lot of fat in it. The pacing is really good, mm-hmm. and you don't need some of those other scenes. I do, like I said, I missed the chip scene. And there's another scene where, in the director's cut, not the ultimate cut, but in the director's cut, there's another scene where John is trying to teach Arnold how to smile. And they're yeah. at like a gas station or something. And I think that's a funny scene. I like it. It's not needed. If I ever want to see it, I can open up YouTube and give it a watch, you know? Right. When I was doing my skim watch, uh, I, I I thought, because I was like just noticing like things that I, because I literally just watched the movie. So I was mm-hmm. <laughs> very attuned to what I had not just seen. And I didn't, I, I thought I saw something of him smiling at the gas station. I'm like, I don't remember that. Yeah. But then the only reason I think that scene is actually necessary is because it did catch my attention when he smiles at John later. Mm-hmm. I believe it's in uh, the Cyberdyne shootout scene when he goes to leave the room. He grins. Yep. And he says, trust that, me. Yeah, that is a good. And callback. I was like, I was like, when did he when did he smile like mm-hmm. that? he never was taught that. And up to that point, everything he had been doing was obviously something John taught him. But anyway, well, that's interesting. I didn't, I didn't realize. So uh, that scene at least makes a little more sense to me now. Yeah. And it's quick. It's one of those things that they cut for time, you know, but it's, it is good to be able to see, but like I said, I never need it in the film. It's not necessary, but it's, it's a nice to have. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, Terminator 1, though, I mean, these these movies play with time travel in really interesting ways. And it, you and I have talked, <laughs> we've had some lengthy discussions about time travel. And as we continue to do movies that involve time travel, we'll continue to have lengthy discussions. But this is another movie that, much like Bill and Ted, has the predestination paradox issue. Because... In the first movie, John Connor, future John Connor, who has gone through Judgment Day when it was supposed to happen, sends Kyle Reese back in time, knowing full well that Kyle Reese is his father. And it's a chicken and egg scenario where it's it was always predetermined and predestined that Kyle Reese would go back in time to, you know, be create a relationship with Linda Hamilton have a child named John Connor, but he would die. And John knew this. So Kyle didn't know. And John just always had in his head, I'm going to meet Kyle Reese. And I don't know when I'm going to send him back in time, but I'm going to know when the time is right to send him back in time. And what's interesting is we get to T2 and Judgment Day 
still happens. It still happens when it was supposed to happen. They didn't stop it. So John would have still sent Kyle Reese back in time. So the timeline is still intact and the predestination paradox is not affected. But well, in, go, go ahead. Well, I, I was going to say the, so like you said, if we're really going to analyze this, he would meet Kyle Reese and just know when to send him back. See, in the first Terminator before T2, I had just always kind of assumed that um, they had some sort of intel on the what the machines were up to. And they knew that they just sent a robot back in time to what time? Because obviously you would have to know yep. when, what date, what day, what year to send back your your guy to stop that robot. Yeah. But it but but I I don't I don't know though if I mean I guess because he could have asked his mom, well what you know, he would have maybe realized I'm gonna have to send Kyle back someday. What day did he show up? And she's like, Oh, I remember it was a Tuesday. And yeah. then he's like, Oh, that's right. So I guess he could have learned it through history that way, which again is sort of its own predestination paradox. But yeah. well, don't they say, or is it in T2 where they say that um, they broke into the facility just when a Terminator was sent back? Mm-hmm. I thought it was T1 where they said, we, we broke in, they sent this Terminator back. So John sent me back. Oh, it must've been in one. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Maybe I'm wrong and maybe, you know, we'll get some emails or tweets that I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that in T1, they say, um, we broke into the facility. We saw they just sent him back. John sent me back. And so that just means that John always had Kyle Reese at his side, never knowing exactly when he's going to send him back in time, but (laughs) knowing that he's going to. Sure. Um, And then T2, like I said, it plays, it plays uh, through most of the movie. It plays with the fact that he would still need to send Kyle Reese back. But at the end of T2, when they prevent Judgment Day, and John still exists, we're in a paradox that shouldn't make sense because in the future now, the timeline has shifted. Judgment Day, on the day it was supposed to happen, doesn't happen. So the whole timeline is now thrown out of whack. And so that means that Kyle will someday have to go back in time, but we don't know when. And it will really throw all of the prime timeline out of whack. But what it does is it creates an offshoot timeline. And, you know, we can look at Avengers Endgame, which we'll someday talk about on this podcast. But Avengers Endgame, when they send people back in time, they create alternate timelines that eventually merge back with the prime timeline. And that's what you kind of have to infer happens here is they prevent Judgment Day. So they create an alternate timeline that will now run its course where the original timeline still exists in some reality. See, I don't, I actually don't think so. I don't think we've got a alternate timeline yet because perhaps as with the predestination paradox, it was always supposed to happen that Judgment Day was thwarted. So then after the events of the third one, you still have the event in the future, well into the future, where John Connor still has to send Kyle Reese back. So that, to me, I think stays on course with the paradox. 
because they were wrong in the past about when exactly all this stuff did happen. Mm-hmm. Even though well, Kyle yeah. was saying it happens on this date. So then, yeah, yeah there's the paradox. Well, yeah, that's well, what here, I'm here, that's what Here's I'm the other so. one, though. Here's the other biggest <laughs> paradox. This is what I think is the biggest paradox of all of it mm-hmm. is the Terminator was sent back in time. Hence, Kyle Reese was sent back in time in the first one. And then he actually impregnates Sarah Connor to produce John Connor, which is the hero of the resistance, which is the whole reason the Terminator was sent back in time in the first place. Mm -hmm. But now from the events of T2, we learn that Skynet only even exists because of the chip and the hand from the Terminator that was sent back in time. So now literally something that hasn't even happened yet has now and this is this one is where my mind really started to bake though because how could the future which has always happened come back and create itself itself yeah yeah yep and that's where terminator one as a standalone film it handles it all well it's good it's when you get into t2 that it convolutes itself but yeah, Terminator One as a standalone movie, there it, it is completely predestination paradox. Completely, there's a chicken and egg scenario, and you can't tell which one comes first because right. they always had to come back in time to create themselves to always come back in time. So it's you're right; it's on both ends. It's on both Skynet's end and John Connor's end. But see, I, I, I have less of a problem with the film as a standalone because theoretically if mm-hmm. see, because it's, well, you've seen the time machine, right? Yes. With HG Wells. Of course we yep. saw that one together. Actually. Um, you shouted at a loud, rude person to be quiet and turn their <laughs> cell phone off. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> good old days in Florida. Um, oh my gosh. That was great. Turn it off. <laughs> and they did. We didn't hear another peep out of them. Good job, Phil. You used yeah. your New York voice. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in that movie, the premise is he wants to stop his fiance or his wife from dying, but he can't because you can't go back in time to stop something that happened because if you stopped it, then it never happened in the future for you to have a reason to go back. Sort of like right. you can't go back and kill Hitler because if you did then there is no Hitler to be Hitler for you to want to go back in the first place. You would never get the idea. So I think it works on a, on a standalone level that Kyle could have gone back in time, not knowing he's John's father. So all he thinks he's doing is stopping a robot. So if he has sex with a woman, he's just like, Oh, I just had to, you know, I was really stressed. I had to release some tension for a minute. You know, that's all he thinks he's doing. So in that essence, he does not know I am going back to be John's father. And that's what I think isolates any sort of paradox. Because if you go back not knowing what you're doing, you know, we could get a time machine right now, Phil, go back and muck around. As long as we don't know we're going back to do this thing. If we're just like, we're just going to go time travel. Oh, we screwed this up. Well, it was always supposed to get screwed up because that's how things existed. I think that that works as a self-contained paradox still, but, um, but then it is T2 that now creates all this. Well, wait a minute. If he knew this and this and Cyberdyne was actually created from a robot from the future, but then you don't have it unless you have it. But 
that's I have a lot more problem with that paradox. Yep. Yep. I agree. But T1, I mean, it, it, it does it well in not over explaining it so that you just go with it, you know? Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's T2, very, very well done. T2, meh, you've now changed the future, which means the past didn't happen in the way you said it would, which creates that paradox. Exactly. Um, T3 completely throws everything out the window. So right. Terminator 3 is a film that came out in 2003, and this is the first Terminator movie that I saw in the theaters. Um, we were in Florida together. I don't know if we saw it. I don't believe we saw it together, but I do remember seeing it at the good old AMC 24 in downtown Disney. We could have seen it together because I know Liz went with me, and that's not really a movie just Liz and I would have went to by ourselves. Mm-hmm. Okay, so maybe maybe we did. Um, it very well could have been, I, I say universe or Disney, it very well could have been universal because a lot of times when movies came out that had ties to thing in theme parks, I would go ride the ride and then see the movie and universal studios had T2 3d battle across time. Mm-hmm. And so I very well could have gone with you and Liz or my roommate and our mutual friend, Kevin, uh, to see it T2, the ride. And then go see the movie T3, but I, I don't, I don't remember that one. I know, you know, there's other films that I do remember specifically doing that for. Speaking of the T2 ride though, that completely works as mm-hmm. a standalone, like Terminator two part two sub story a, because <laughs> yep. it was awesome i must have seen that a million times i had every line of that memorized it's so yeah. well done and it then was great to watch yeah to watch t2 uh the other night and then and then here like you know the when he cocks the gun and goes excellent and mm-hmm. then same thing <laughs> happens in that ride and i'm like oh man i miss that ride so much now because yeah. it's not it's it's it's, it's gone shut yeah down yeah i think they created a jason bourne stunt show in there i I don't know oh really yeah uh but yeah it was a great it was a great ride so for everybody out there who didn't get a chance to see it man it was it was really fun um but it very well could have been that maybe we all went to universal together (laughs) went on t2 3d i shouldn't say ride but you know it was a a 4d experience in a theater uh, and then gone to see terminator 3 rise of the machines and i i I think the reason that I don't remember who I saw it with or exactly where I saw it is because it was such a letdown to me leaving the theater. Um, I just felt like Arnold was, he wasn't really the T2 Arnold. He, it was, and you're sure he's not supposed to be, but there's a level of expectation going into a Terminator movie with the same actor portraying the same character. Mm-hmm. And he just seemed like a shell or, or a robot of him himself. <laughs> um, and Nick Stahl, he's a fine actor, but he's not a great actor. And, you know, Edward Furlong isn't really a great actor either. But as a teenager, I bought everything Edward Furlong was doing in T2. Mm-hmm. And Nick Stahl just is kind of blah in, in T3. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. And so to that those, end, I think Claire Danes was kind of blah. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just going to say that the other two main characters are Claire Danes 
and Christana, Christina Loken. Uh, I don't know if I'm saying her name correctly, but Christana, uh, she, I think Christina Loken. She, um, she was menacing. She was a good TX character, but she still didn't feel as menacing as T1000, and that's that's hard, right? It's hard to have such a great villain in in the T1000, and then come back with a a character who's not as great as the T1000. And it's no, no fault of hers. It's just the fact that the T1000 was liquid metal and liquid metal gave them the authority to do anything. And now using liquid metal to merge with actual metal where you have the exoskeleton, but then liquid metal on top, mm-hmm. it just, it limited what the possibilities could be in my mm-hmm. opinion. And so it just kind of, it fell a little more flat than than Robert uh, Patrick in his great T-1000. But she was yeah. still scary and menacing, and she did a really good job um, portraying a, a TX. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what do you remember about T-3 and then watching it the other day? Um, pretty much the same vague memory of I might have seen it with you, I don't remember, but also I don't remember because I did walk out like, what? That's what mm-hmm. I just watched. Um, I have very, very little real memory of it, except that when I rewatched it, it pretty much confirmed all of my memories of not enjoying it. Um, I, I think even the action felt tired. There's yeah. there's two big action scenes that just felt like a complete retread of two. Like the mm-hmm. big, uh, and then of course we have the new, the new power too, where she can control machines. Right. So like she can not just even merge with them, but now she can send cop cars out like transformers to just <laughs> <laughs> go chase down, you know, John Connor and Kate Brewster in their vehicle. But mm-hmm. which, which, okay, that ups the action. So it's like, oh, now it's not just the Terminator driving a single vehicle. Now she's sending, you know, a small armada, but um, that still just didn't, didn't up anything for me because you know that the first big action scene in the Terminator movies ends with the escape. There's, there's no, there's nothing at stake at that point. So, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't good enough action for me to go, Whoa, holy crap. Like, I know they're going to make it, but that was amazing. It's like, uh, I knew they were going to make it. And this felt like they did it all on a backlot soundstage, which they most likely did. You know, I'm sure they did. Cause like when they came around the corner, like it's supposed to be that it's like five in the morning or whatever. So yeah, sure. Early, not a lot of traffic yet. But when they came around that first corner, I felt like I was watching like some stunt show, Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know where it's like and action this is how we make movies it's like is it well it's it just pales in comparison because you you do like you said you relate it back to t2 everything in this movie was going to get compared to t2 no matter what mm-hmm. and it came out 12 years later so you think they would have upped the ante but what they did in this this vehicular chase scene is they took steps back sure the the special effects were better but the T-1000 in that Mack truck chasing them mm-hmm. in LA, like you know they're on location in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. going through the streets and going through that 
um, the channel where, you know, the, very little water runs through because we have very little water in, in California, but mm-hmm. um, that sequence was just so epic in scope. Mm-hmm. And here we get this chase scene, which you're right, feels really small. It feels like they just redecorated the same set a couple times because they're on city streets. Mm-hmm. And it just is, is it feels smaller, even though it's supposed to be bigger. And yeah, the explosions are bigger, but that doesn't really do it for me if the scope seems smaller. Well, and is it is it just supposed to be the big twist that, oh, now it's a female Terminator? Is that was that supposed to be the big get in in T3? Um, I mean, I, I don't have any problem with it. That's fine. I just don't know why robots are worried about whether they're Terminator, you know, personas mm-hmm. are male or female. Yeah, I say, mean, well, it's, we got it's obviously to infiltrate one, right? things that are right, but it still doesn't it doesn't really add anything to the film because she didn't do anything really distinctly female except make her boobs bigger when the cop walks up to the car, right, which so I felt ridiculous. is total of a yeah, that's just a total smack in the face in the whole, right? You know, for the female gender, right there, like, oh, yeah. well, this is it, that that didn't that didn't help females. It didn't help the movie. It wasn't even that good of a, a laugh. It's it's just an eye roll. Like, are you serious? Yep, that's I mean, exactly what I did the other day when I saw it. I was like, come on, I eye rolled for sure. I think my whole head rolled with it. So I, I guess what I'm getting at is like in it. it it did nothing to make her a female. Like mm-hmm. they needed to accentuate that for some reason, like make it like she had to infiltrate, you know, Kate Brewster's bachelorette party or something. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. that. Well, that it would make sense that she's a female and it, and she was there for Kate mm-hmm. because it was, you know, like just something that, that, that adds an element. But just to make her female for female sake, and then she's pretty much just acting like the T one thousand from T two, like you said that she didn't she didn't one up Robert Patrick, you know yeah. she didn't she didn't take a twist on something that the T one thousand did in T two, and we're like oh what if he could have done this, you know except mm-hmm. she made that little gun out of her hand, but that didn't even do anything for me right. really. Right. That was same here, same here. It, it was it's a missed opportunity, I guess. If I haven't beaten this point to death, they just they didn't do anything with it. It's like, oh, it's a female Terminator now, but it's still just a Terminator. Yeah, yeah, and and we can talk more, and we will talk more in other podcasts about where they went with the female Terminator concept when we get to Dark Fate in, at some point. But even that, like, it's it's a an interesting parallel that they try to draw back to this movie but they don't do it well and it's yeah it it was shoehorned in there it could have been either gender except for that one scene in the cop car and that actually even brought to mind men in black too doesn't laura flynn Boyle's alien character do the same thing doesn't she inflate her boobs and then like whoops inflated them too big and then brings them back to a normal size yeah i guess that was just a 90s thing man I know. Is that all women, aliens, and robots do? (laughs) We're going to play with the boobs. Um, Speaking of which, since we're we're talking anatomy real quick, uh, (laughs) T2, um, 
<laughs> well, you know, you have to go back naked because you can't have any clothes or for whatever reason, they, they sort of explain it, I think, in future Terminator movies about the fabric or whatever. I don't know. Polyester burns up in the time machine and sends you all over the place. I don't know. Something like that. <laughs> supposed to wash on delicate. I don't know. Right. right. Um, but. The women are eyeing up Arnold like, woo, woo. And you, you definitely see their eyes go low. They definitely look all the way up and down. So mm-hmm. my first thought is, what were the robots thinking with that? Like, <laughs> man, this thing's got to be correct, if you know what I mean. Like, are they like in in their fax machine voices going, reamer, 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 make sure he's really stacked. Reamer, reamer, reamer. You know? Well endowed. <laughs> <laughs> he he's got to look like a greek god i mean seriously if we're doing anything with terminator technology they gotta look jacked okay like i just that's always bothered me that didn't bother me just makes me laugh like well but that's what i'm thinking that's where it's funny when you say that because the t-1000 robert patrick is not stacked kristana loken is She's toned and very muscular, but, you know, she's not like a Greek god bodybuilder. And then as we get to future movies, it's the same thing. Like, they're they're not huge. They're not Arnold huge, right? So I think the T-800 was the one that they made to be like that, to be big, to be imposing. And then everybody else, maybe the, after the T-800, they realized, um, you know, maybe we should make them more like a real human, yeah right. <laughs> because now, We're not now seeing he... <laughs> anybody with this Jack uh, Greek God. He's supposed to blend in, but he immediately grabs everybody's attention. Right. <laughs> but the here's what I will say again for anybody who's going to tweet and or email. Um, I think he had to be big because the 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 skeleton was huge. Mm-hmm. He had to have enough body cover up that huge robot now he didn't have to be menacingly ripped like arnold you know the robot didn't have to look like he came right out of a gym after spin class you know but (laughs) but i think though that is the reason for the arnold's initial size Mm -hmm. and then subsequent models the t1000 is like well he's liquid metal he can look normal and whatever Christiana Loken was the same thing, I guess. Liquid metal it looks yeah. normal. Yeah, well, yeah. And then, and then her, they if you remember, yeah, they, they have her when she's only the the exoskeleton. It's smaller and it looks like a female. Right. But then here's the other thing. So are the robots figuring all this out like in their robot board meetings? Like Guys, we really blew it with that T-800. It's enormous. There, <laughs> nobody's falling for it. Although, yep. apparently it had been working because it's... <laughs> yeah, only dogs yeah. could figure it out. <laughs> One last point on the clothes, though. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so I get why Kyle Reese and Arnold didn't wear clothes because they're more humanoid, but... Robert Patrick, in all of his shape-shifting changes, shape-shifts clothes on him. I don't, I don't know as he had to go through time naked because he's just, he's liquid metal. Right. He could have technically come through clothed. Yep, he could have. As, as Christina Loken could have too. Yeah, that's a good point. Hmm. 
Mm. I don't know. I just, they were trying to keep to their own rules, but then because it's a liquid metal thing and it makes liquid metal clothes, that that wasn't, that wasn't Mm -hmm. necessary. (laughs) How funny. Um, So jumping back to T3, a really funny um, piece of trivia that I found was that Arnold, Arnold's paycheck was enormous for it. I don't know if you looked this up, but he was paid $29.25 million to star in T3. Wow. Which in 2003, and that's, I mean, even now that's a big payday, but that's a huge payday. Um, his list of demands was ridiculous as well. He asked for 1.5 million of the movie's budget, not his, not his money, but extra money on top of the 29.25 million to be put aside for private jets, a fully equipped gym, deluxe hotel suites, limos, and personal bodyguards all just for him to use during production. And then he received 20% of the receipts on ticket sales, DVDs, TV rights, games, and in-flight movie licensing. So anybody that's flying on Delta that buys T3, he would get money off that. Wow. And 20%, that's huge. See, it's got to be close to the same deal that Harrison Ford negotiated for Crystal Skull. (laughs) Because I guarantee one other one other clause on Arnold's thing is, and it all has to be shot on sound stages. <laughs> not yep. going on location again. Um, do you want to know who told Arnold to do the movie? Because he originally refused. Sylvester Stallone? Nope. I'm done he, guessing. He refused to do it unless Cameron was directing, but Cameron didn't want to make T3 because he felt he created a, a complete story with T1 and T2. I So yes, he yes. told Arnold, just do it and ask for a shitload of money. And that's what Arnold did. He asked wow. Cameron. Cameron said, take the money and run. And that's why we got the Arnold we got in that movie, I feel. I, but he, I, I thought he was still okay. Um, I think just the whole... The whole movie was was not good. The whole movie shouldn't have been made. Right. You know, I, I wouldn't even see Arnold wasn't wasn't Arnold as much as nobody was who they were supposed to be anyway. Mm-hmm. As we've already established, the sound stages, the you know, not quite being the John Connor, you know, the female Terminator for no reason, just all of it was very lackluster. Yeah. And again, trilogy rules. We learned something else about the T eight hundred model, is or is it T eight hundred? Yeah, yeah. So trilogy rules. We learned something else about the T eight hundred model. They now come equipped with nuclear bomb batteries <laughs> <laughs> that come into play whenever you need. You know, and it's a good thing he's got two, so he can eject one, so we can all see it and go, "Oh, neat." That's how he's going to kill the female robot later. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I just, he's like, oh, my power cell is damaged. You have to help me take it out. And then I think back to all the damage he sustained in T2 and T1. And neither one of those cores were ruptured then. And he was smashed to bits in T2. And in T T1, he was down to the exoskeleton. 
But in this one, a little bit of firefight, and he happens to get a bullet right in the battery? Oh, man. it's That's just script problems, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, you know, something interesting I, I forgot to mention, but I'm, I'm relooking at the notes that I had taken to talk about the ridiculous things in T3. The breast inflation scene that we talked about already. Um, mm-hmm. The bra had, it, it was made by an effects team and it didn't work properly. And sometimes one of the bladders that they used to inflate would pop or fizzle out. And like, it, it seems like they took several takes to do this where they should have just realized while they were doing it, this is a bad idea. <laughs> well, but I it, 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 yeah, well, <laughs> the fact that you're even telling me they took multiple takes on that shot and they put an FX team on it to make that just makes me realize they were thinking about completely the wrong things when they yep. even made this film. Cause that scene did nothing. It didn't buy her time. I mean, she's already pretty. So yep. he could have, she could have just flirted or something. There was no need for, for that because it doing that bought her absolutely no time. Cause all she did was just kill the cop quick and that was it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, what a mess. The, T3 came out, fanfare was, it it didn't do well. And this was the last movie that Arnold made before he then became the governor of California. So he went out with a bang, I guess, to to only make some better movies and some worse movies when he left his governorship. But um, I just, I I don't know what to say about this film. It, It takes us in such a weird direction by... This kind of says Judgment Day, you know, is always going to happen no matter what. No matter what you do, Judgment Day will happen. It doesn't matter when, but it's still going to happen. And so that's that's fine with me. I, I appreciate that they're, they're changing time, but time eventually catches up to itself and works itself out. Like, I get it, and I'm okay with it. What I'm not okay with is that everything keeps changing and that it's no longer Skynet. It's whatever it's called in this film. Um, It's the government that creates it now instead of a standalone company because a new, a new version of Skynet, a new um, sentient being that is, you know, made of um, the, basically the internet, right? Because it's, it's just connected around the world. Right. There was no hub. There was no right. no central core to destroy. It was just everywhere. But they're not going to do the same thing that the original Skynet was going to do. You know, it, it would have learned and evolved and be a very different type of sentient being in my mind. And maybe I'm off base, you know, maybe for the, for the movie, it needs to still do all of these things and check all these boxes. But like, it's a new company or a new type of thing. So why would it create the same T 800s? And I, it's just, right. I don't know. It's kind of that, that never sit sits right with me when I think about the film, because it is not Skynet and it's not derived from the technology of, I think they still the call it Skynet though. Do they pretty sure they still call it Skynet. Okay. So it's still, it's still Skynet, but it's not the same Skynet. Right. And it's At, not derived. There was a, Unless there was a real quick line of dialogue that I missed where they mentioned anything about deriving any of that technology from Cyberdyne or anything, then then 
I think it is just happens to be a new thing called Skynet because maybe they'd maybe if they didn't have Cyberdyne's technology because it was all blown up, maybe they at least had the name and you know press releases and still wanted to call it Skynet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, maybe. You bring, yeah. Well, you bring up a point though about time time machine, you know, and all that. My question about this third film is. Christiana Loken's Terminator shows up, what, two days before Judgment Day, basically? Yeah. So you've got a time machine, and why did you cut it that close to come back and kill the leader of the Resistance? Why mm-hmm. Why did you, like, I get for the movie's sake, they wanted to put the clock on it, that Skynet goes live at this time, we gotta hurry now the good guys had no choice in that, but if you're the bad guy robots, why did you send your Terminator back with such a limited amount of time to go kill easily 12 people on her hit list and the primary targets? And I that just doesn't, you've got a time machine. Right. You know? I'm picturing Marty McFly right now going, wait a minute, I got all, I'm, I'm in a time machine. I got all the time I want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't know. That's that's really funny that you bring that up because the one thing I will say Dark Fate does well, which we'll get to at another time, is how they talk about time being fluid and T, you know, the Skynet sending Terminators back. They do a good job with that. And we'll talk about it at another time, like I said. But They do, they explain, because I haven't seen Dark Fate yet. They well, explain why there's like... Oh, we'll send the Terminator back to 1984. Now we'll send it to 91. Now we'll send it to 2003. Yeah, I won't. I don't want to. You don't have to. Yeah, ruin yeah. It, but they they do a good job of saying why Terminators are sent to different places and different times, and they basically erase the history that's been made after T2. So really, Dark Fate only T1, T2, and Dark Fate exist. Okay. So the other two movie, the other three movies, Salvation and Genesis, which we will talk about at another time, never happen. And this movie never happen. Again, I'm picturing the robot board meeting, right? Right. Where it's like, hey, let's send a robot back to 1984 to kill John Connor's mom before before he's even born. This guy's a thorn in our side. Okay, let's try it. Oh man, that didn't work. You know, 13 years later, <laughs> one one robot raises his hand. Why don't we try killing John Connor in the past again? Ah, oh, man, that we did that. We yeah. tried that once. <laughs> what if we try when he's a teenager? <laughs> Why did they never try to kill Kyle Reese? Why did they always go with the Connors? You know, I, Kyle John wouldn't be around if they got to Kyle. <laughs> That's true. There's just why? Why only send one? Why? Why not just mm-hmm. send multiple? And why not go back in time to like? the 1800s and killed John Connor's great, 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 great grandparent. Right. When there's way less places to hide. Yep. And way less technology. And I mean, you can go back to even the 1600s and <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter. Just kill a, just, you know, great relative. <laughs> but anyway, we digress. It just thinks you're thinking too much about these movies at that point. Um, T3, it just, it was messy and the end scene where they go to the bunker and Arnold and the TX are fighting to the last, to their last quote unquote breath. It's just, it's not exciting. 
the the no. helicopter comes in and crashes and it's just not i don't know I, I just can't get behind it it's nothing makes me go oh yeah like in t2 where everything made me go oh yeah right and then and then the last few minutes wandering around the the bunker i'm like what's gonna happen what's gonna happen what's gonna oh nothing mm-hmm. oh and it's just such a dark depressing ending and i'm just like so we can escape our future yay movies <laughs> like i nothing about it was uplifting and and you kind of knew at the time like you were watching the third movie it didn't do anything to wrap up or or make you excited about it it just was like no like we said humans die yep we told you <laughs> okay and and not having linda hamilton back see this is where i wish and I haven't seen Dark Fate yet, but I wish you would have done a Dark Fate back then when everybody was still young and crisp and, you know, mm-hmm. age appropriate for a sequel time, you know, um, where, the, where they'd still maybe run around and do like one last little mission. That that probably would have been a better time for that. So, sort of the same way I, you know, lament that they waited so long before they got everybody back for Star Wars. Like you had this huge right. gap in your history now, but... But as you said, they erased some of that, so so I'll be curious to watch that when I get around to it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not a great movie, but it's got some it's got some popcorn action in it, which is, I guess, all you can ask for after T two. <laughs> On the other hand, I will tell anybody listening. We we mentioned it earlier. We didn't get into the the plot, but if you can go online and find somebody who's recorded the Terminator two, uh, Universal. 4d experience uh that's a nice little i don't know 12 15 minute um the live action you're basically going in to cyberdyne systems to see their new terminators and then uh you get sucked into a giant 3d movie of uh arnold and john connor racing around on a motorcycle in the post-apocalyptic future to destroy the t1 million um, central command center yep. and uh, you obviously won't get the same effects that you get having seen it live but it's a fun movie and and that's too that's probably my biggest memory of uh, of the Terminator franchise uh, besides that crazy dream was <laughs> I was watching before I moved to Florida probably a good I don't know it had to have been a while because that ride's been around for a long time. But yeah, it I opened, watched it opened in '96 and closed yeah. in 2017. So I think it was somewhere in like '96 or '97 that I was watching a behind the scenes how it was made, and James Cameron actually directed that. Yep. Like 15 minute movie for Universal Studios, and they went through how they wanted it all to be like a real adventure from the Terminator, and um. Man, I remember watching that going, oh, I got to get to Florida one day. I got to get to Florida one day. And then just never knowing that, you know, five years later, I would be living there and I would ride that ride like a hundred times. <laughs> but uh, but mm-hmm. that's right. And, and again, since I didn't experience T2 initially theatrically, um, I think that Universal ride is probably my favorite Terminator movie right now. Yeah, I mean, it it is a great experience because it's bigger than just a movie, right? It's, it's 4d mm-hmm. and there's things coming out at you from the sides. Um, 
it's just so well done. And the fact that they reunited the entire T2 cast for this film, that this short film that they shot five years after T2 came out, right. it's a testament to the fact that all those characters or all those actors and, and James Cameron as the director and writer love the property. You know, he, James Cameron made that thinking it would be a stepping stone to a third movie and then just felt like he finished his story. You know, he didn't feel like he needed to go on any further. Um, and, you know, part of me wishes they just left it like that because T1, T2, and T2 3D Battle Across Time are great, great films in their own, you know, together as, as their own little, I guess, duology, trilogy, kind of. Mm-hmm. No, you, you're, you, you hit something on the head that I was thinking about this too, is yes, if they would have just stopped with T2 and then the Universal Ride... That, that would have been great. You you don't, I, I think the lesson here is you don't always have to have a trilogy to have a great franchise. Right. And I think the Scream movies are the same way. I think Scream 1 and Scream 2, if you would have stopped there, that's a nice, fully involved, perfect story. Mm-hmm. But, but then when you threw in that third one, it's like now things are really starting to not make as much sense. Now you're really starting to stretch for why we're watching these characters again. And and then I was totally let down. I already mentioned it. That Linda Hamilton did not come back in in three. That that right there, I went into the theater already down about that. And then then I saw the movie and was like, well this she I don't know if they even proposed it to her. Um or if she was just no I'm out from the beginning. Like there had to have been a reason why she wasn't in it. Either she absolutely refused to come back for a third one, so they wrote a script without her, or they wrote a script that she was in, and she was like, "No, that's garbage." You know, I don't know if it yeah, was creative. Well, no, if it she, was money. she declined. She was offered a part to reprise her role and declined. She was. Saying okay. Her character arc was complete, and she didn't feel like she needed to do a third one because in the in the original script, she died halfway through, and there was no time to mourn her, and she felt like her character that was a staple in T1 and T2 was this disposable character in T3. So she said, no, they rewrote the script and we got what we got. Yeah. And that's kind of what it feels like. Mm -hmm. Like her presence is just missing from the beginning. And then to open up her casket with guns (laughs) is like, what? Yep. Yeah. So Eric, with all this being said, did T3 ruin your childhood? No, it didn't ruin my childhood because uh, my childhood is pretty much firmly rooted in that first one. And I remember watching it on HBO and just thinking like this, this is because I was still young, but I was like, this is scary, but it's not too scary, mm-hmm. but it's scary enough that I'm going to have a nightmare about it and and that dream alone that memory of that dream alone um is is worth all of it and then uh nothing in my head will ever ruin the universal ride Mm -hmm. battle through time um that that stands out as prominent memory so no they could make another hundred terminator movies that just get subsequently worse (laughs) and uh Spoiler and I, alert. I will, yeah, <laughs> I will, I will still have very, very fond memories of this. And, uh, 
just kind of disregard the rest. Sure. I feel the same way. Um, T1, T2, and T2 3D Battle Across Time are just staples of my my youth. They are all ingrained so heavily in, in part of my life in the 90s and into the 2000s that this film, although ruining a bit of the franchise, it doesn't ruin my childhood. So I didn't mention this before, but T3 Rise of the, the Machines, I watched to prepare for this podcast, and I think it's the third time since 2003 that I've seen it. I saw it in the theaters, maybe with you, and then I saw it again when I bought a Blu-ray set that had all three of the movies together as one set, and then I, I hadn't watched it again until now. And yeah, it, it just is a letdown. It's just sad to see the shell of this franchise. And, you know, we didn't even talk about it, but Jonathan Mostow, who directed it and wrote it, really just doesn't have the same flash that Cameron does. And you can see it on the screen. You know, we talked about it with some of the, the chase sequences and how some of the other action just feels like retreads or feels flat. It's you, you give the reins to such a great franchise to a less, a lesser director, you know, nothing really against Jonathan Mostow, but he's not James Cameron. And so few directors out there can emulate what Cameron does so well. And yeah, I think they just, they've had an idea to make this movie. A lot of people said no, and they should have just put it on the shelf, you know, but we got what we got and uh, I'll probably never watch it again. (laughs) (laughs) So Eric, where can the people out there find you? Uh, They can find me uh, outside the old building where they used to make the battle through time ride, crying my eyes out. And on Instagram at Eric underscore Walensky. Very nice. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Phil Dimo, F-I-L-D-I-M-O. And you can also follow this podcast on Twitter at Podcast Ruined. We thank everybody for joining us on this look back at T1, T2, T2, 3D Battle Against Time, and T3. And we hope this podcast didn't ruin your childhood. Could it be I've misunderstood? This podcast ruined my childhood. Hasta la vista, baby.